mercy and peace are yours from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Reading today's epistle lesson from Philippians chapter 4, I could not seem to get this one song out of my head. It's a song from my Sunday school days. Perhaps you remember it from yours, or from teaching Sunday school, or PBS. It goes like this. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. But if you sense a little hesitation in my voice as I sang these words, you are not mistaken. It is not just that I am timid to sing a solo in public, which is true, but it's also that these words seem to ring a bit hollow for me today. Perhaps some of you are thinking the same thing, or perhaps even that thought went through your head when you read some of the words from Paul in his letter to the church in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice. What do we have to rejoice about, you might be thinking. Our politics are a mess. COVID-19 continues to claim lives and ruin livelihoods. Tourists continue to overrun our communities, leaving a mess in their wake. And our favorite places to go and things to do largely remain closed. Is any of this a cause to rejoice? If Paul's exhortation to rejoice is not enough, he then goes on to write, Do not be anxious about anything. I will admit that I am by nature prone to a bit of anxiety, but I suppose I could ask you, can you blame me? I came into adulthood at the time of the terrorist attacks in 9-11. I was just weeks into my freshman year at college thousand miles from home. In two months' time, I would be flying home again for Thanksgiving. Would it even be safe to fly again? Then on top of the threat of terrorism, we have seen a rise in mass shootings, schools, movie theaters, concerts, shopping malls, office buildings. Mass shootings seem to occur in every place imaginable. Will it even be safe to go out to these places again? And now, of course, we have COVID-19, which means that there is potential threat behind everyone we encounter. Do not be anxious about anything. Who exactly does Paul think he's talking to? I'm anxious about everything. Perhaps you feel this way too. Perhaps not to the level that I dramatized here this morning, but do you sometimes feel anxious? Do you always rejoice? Oh, and do you always let your reasonableness be known to everyone? As Paul further exhorts us in verse 5, there is a voters meeting coming up next week. These meetings have not always gone smoothly. Does the thought of this meeting make you anxious? At this meeting, we're going to talk about the needs we face for the continuation of this ministry. The stained glass window needs to be repaired. We have not yet found a tenant for the parsonage. Should we? And can we even afford to improve the live stream for those worshiping at home during this pandemic? When you hear this list, are you rejoicing? Or does it make you anxious? And when confronted with these challenges, will your reasonableness be known to everyone? 
You know, in reading our lesson this morning, I think Paul can come across as a bit arrogant. What you have learned and received and heard and see in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Is Paul really saying here, hey guys, I got this figured out. Just do everything that I'm doing and everything's going to be fine. Does Paul really think that he has found the key to living a sinless and God-pleasing life? Well, I think if you were to ask Paul, he would say, by no means. Recall his letter, the second letter to Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Take note of the grammar here. Paul is using the first-person present indicative. He is not saying that he was the worst, but now he's not anymore. No, Paul is saying that right now, at that time, as he's writing that letter, he is the worst of sinners. Unless you think that Paul is writing this letter early in his ministry and somehow matured out of his sinfulness, Paul is writing this toward the end of his ministry, just a few short years before his death. So what then is Paul suggesting to us this morning? Let us return to our epistle where Paul writes, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now certainly in these words, Paul is talking about his material needs, but he is talking about more than that. He says he knows what it is to be brought low. Paul did have some low times in his ministry. Paul would face prison and physical suffering, but Paul would also fail and sin. His dispute with Barnabas and Mark ruptures his relationship with them. Paul is brought low and must reconcile with his brothers. Paul is not perfect. His life is not the proof text that you can be born again and then lead a perfect life thereafter. Rather, Paul is an example of what it is to be brought low. It is at the point where you are brought low that God reveals himself to you. It is in suffering where God is at work. In the waters of your baptism, you were brought low. The old Adam in you was drowned in the water. It is in death that God makes you alive. You were brought low in baptism. And then God raised you up in the resurrection of Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit claims you now as a part of the kingdom of God. Make no mistake, the wages of sin is death. You are a sinner. You must die because you are a sinner. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is in your death that God gives you eternal life. You are a baptized child of God. You will be raised with Jesus in the resurrection. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. These words, which seem to ring so hollow before, are in fact the power of God and the promise of God. How is it that Paul can be brought low? Because the Lord is at hand. This is the promise of the gospel, the promise of the cross. In the midst of your suffering, rejoice, for the Lord is at hand. 
in the midst of your anxiety. Rejoice, for the Lord is at hand. Rejoice, for the Lord is at hand. This is an exhortation, but it is also a promise. It is not, however, a promise that your life will be free from anxiety. It is not a promise that you will have an easy life. It is, in fact, a promise that as a Christian, you will face suffering and pain, even death. But more than that, it is a promise that in the midst of your suffering, the Lord is at hand. In fact, it is in this suffering that the Lord reveals himself to you and accomplishes his work of your salvation. It is at the point where we are brought low, where we are so crushed by our sin that we cannot but acknowledge that we cannot free ourselves from it. It is at this point that the work of Christ's promise is revealed to you. It is here that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you are free, free in Christ Jesus, free from what makes you anxious, free to rejoice in the Lord. You can fulfill the exhortation because Christ fulfills the promise, the promise he spoke in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The Lord is at hand. The promise Christ kept on the cross and in the empty tomb. The Lord is at hand. Here, now, in this very place this morning, in the proclaimed word, the Lord is at hand. When Pastor declared the words of absolution to you this morning, the Lord is at hand. You are forgiven. When you come to the rail and take the bread and the wine, the Lord is at hand. In the promise that his body and blood is given and shed for you, the Lord is at hand. In your baptism, in the word and the water, the Lord is at hand. You are redeemed. You are saved. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. As a baptized and redeemed child of God, you are therefore a new creation, a part of the body of Christ. To this point, John Bombero writes, On the other side of the gospel, having been baptized and endowed with faith and living in the midst of this crooked world, Paul says to the effect, This is what your life should look like in contradistinction to the culture. I expect you to be thinking and acting in accordance with godliness. Not so that you may be justified before the Lord, but if you rightly understand the gospel and feel the implications of its power and profundity, so you may live and enjoy a justified life. That is life in the spirit of Christ. Life moved and empowered by gospel graces. And quote, we experience this life of Christ together, called to be the body of Christ through our baptism. This binds us together as a close-knit family. And as the body of Christ, the peace of God is poured out on you, guarding your hearts and your minds. 
so that you are now free to think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And you are free to see that reflected in your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are raised up to a new life, moved and empowered by gospel graces, so that you are now free to glorify God and to serve each other. At the end of our apostle reading this morning, Paul writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In Christ, you can do all things. In Christ, you can live the love of Christ that Paul describes in our epistle lesson this morning. In Christ, you can serve your neighbor. In Christ, we can see what is lovely and excellent and commendable in each other. In Christ, you and I, we can lay our anxiousness at the foot of the cross and lay hold to the promise of Christ. In Christ, we can rejoice. You can do all this because through your baptism, Christ lives and reigns in you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Thanks be to God. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.